The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified. How exciting it is to be on the team where Sharon just last week accepted the proposal. Sharon, how are you doing? Oh, well, I'm still fluttered, uh, <laughs> fluttering in my heart, fluttering in my soul. Uh, yes, yes, yes is my answer, right? I'm excited to be a part of the team and uh, to be able to have the opportunity to amplify so many great messages out there. Yes, and our guests are indicative of that today for sure. Well, I think it's so exciting because when you have a team, you can really rely on not only the other's talents on the team, but you also get all kinds of ideas, you brainstorm. And I find like these shows at one hour are going to feel like they're five minutes now, whereas before they already were fast. But now <laughs> now we're talking about how each minute is so precious. And yeah. uh, we had talked about the book coming out, uh, the 50 book challenge. And you said, hey, I got someone perfect. He has a book, 50 Promises. Before we go to the bio, I, of course, wanted to ask you how your weekend was. And uh, I, heard you, I hope you heard you spoke in Atlanta. I did. I had the privilege of speaking at the I Build Wealth conference here in Atlanta. The host is Sonia Booker, and she is a fantabulous woman. She's like the, the, Susie, the, the Susan person of Atlanta, um, Susan's name, Orman, that's it, Susie Orman. She's the Susie Orman of Atlanta. And what I love about what she does is it's not just giving another conference on wealth building, but it's also finding ways to leave a legacy for the young people, the new generation. And she had a whole host of young people uh, with their own separate conference, learning about wealth building and really building their wealth one dollar one decision at a time. And she's you know, an author of two books, Wealth Building, Investing in the American Dream, and also Self-Wealth for Women. Uh, by the way, she was a, a part of our con- conference on C last year. I'm talking of none other than the Leadership Cruise that's coming up in November on the 4th through the 10th. And we're going to Cuba, Ken. So start saying Cuba. <laughs> Cuba. <laughs> and and they named uh, Cuba after Cuba Gooding Jr. Is that correct? I, I just want to. No, I. That's his claim to fame, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was very excited because this fifty is going to turn into a lot of things, and one of them is a fatherhood guide that, uh, that Joyce has helped me with, and then lead hership. And I've been doing, I've been practicing making sure that her really shows up in the lead hership. And yeah. you're going to help me really create that book, and we're going to be co-authors. And I'd love to get that book done before uh, the the cruise. And when is that cruise again? It is November 4th through the 10th. We're going to Cuba. Actually, Habana, Cuba, 
And we're going to be in Havana for two days, Monday and Tuesday. Then we're going to Cozumel. But everybody's all fixated on Cuba, you know, because they're opening the doors for the first time. It's a place of mystery and intrigue, and everybody wants to rush in while the opportunity is still there. So we're really excited about that. Well, I know that we're just starting as a team, and we had talked about the big event you just did and that there, there might have been a photographer there. So when any of our guests uh, that are coming on the show or any of the host or team are at events, we want them to, uh, to connect with photographers and uh, have the photographers connect with the Umbrella Syndicate so we can feature those amazing events on the Umbrella Syndicate and Amplified. Uh, because if we're talking about it during the show, we want them to be able to see the excitement at the event and also how to get in touch with the people and when the next event is so they can play. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the 50 book challenge. And, you know, I, I read something last week that I just had to share with our audience and the team and our guests. It's about how leaders are readers. And here's fact number one. Reading can make you a better conversationalist. I think we can all agree on that. Fact number two, neighbors will never complain you are reading too loud. (laughs) (laughs) Fact number three, knowledge by osmosis has not yet been perfected, so you'd better read. Fact number four, books have stopped bullets, reading could save your life. And fact number five, dinosaurs did not read, look what happened to them, Ken. You know, that is... That's proof in the pudding right there. You know, uh, Steve Martin said it best when he said, some people have a way with words and other people, well, they, uh, well, they, they, uh, well, they, they have no, they have no way. Yeah. They have no way of actually expressing themselves. So, uh, I think reading does help you express yourself. And that's why I try to always read at least one book a year, no matter what. And the 50 book, <laughs> the 50 book challenge is going to accelerate. You know, we have a hundred hours a week to read if we want it to not work at all. So wow. the 50, the 50 book challenge is like, why don't you take an hour or two out of your week and mm-hmm. educate yourself, grow yourself and get new ideas that help you play a bigger game. So uh, I, I just want to say really quickly, I did an event this past weekend uh, called Light City in Baltimore. It's, it's the entire Inner Harbor lit up all the buildings. I mean, just it's a really magnificent event. And we did post the photos in the Umbrella Syndicate. I'll make sure I share them over uh, on Amplified. But what a lighting, spectacular uh artistic sculptures, I mean, everything you can imagine that you can do with lights. They did the House of Cards where they had all these beautiful wow. graphics and drawings and paintings that lit up in each card with, uh, of course, the uh, the suit and the, and the uh, designation of that card. So well, I, I want can't to wait about- to see the pictures. I can't well, wait to see the pictures, for sure. Well, well you'll have to speak of the show. and all the other things, did you want us to run on into our, our first guest? I do, I do, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because he just works nicely with our 50 uh, book challenge with his 50 promises. He is the author of 50 promises. Now, now listen to this. Imagine sleeping on the floor for the first 17 years of your life, cleaning toilets and flipping burgers at McDonald's, then going on to create a fabulously successful and lucrative career. That's Steve Eichenborough's life story. That is his true life story. He is a living proof that with the right attitude, confidence in oneself, and an unwavering belief system, we can reach our goals and achieve the life we hope for. At the age of 21, Steve left Lagos, Nigeria with $100 and a goal of becoming educated in the United Kingdom and an unshakable faith that he could conceive or achieve success if he wanted to career with McDonald's doing menial grunge work like cleaning bathrooms. 
But because of his impeccable work ethic, Steve rose rapidly through the managerial ranks in the company, moving from London to Johannesburg, South Africa, and then across the United States. Steve later joined Domino Pizza, where he rose to executive vice president responsible for strategic growth and development of the company's business operations. Now, throughout this time, he not only achieved success for himself, but influenced the lives of hundreds of colleagues and minimum wage employees. It was because of this ability to influence others that he realized he has a message to share. Welcome, Steve Eichenberger, to the show today. I'm slowing down because I know I'm going to have to have a lot of hearing to listen to what you've got to say and to take in all the nuggets you are going to be sharing with us, Steve. Welcome. Uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Oh, you know, it's Steve, such a pleasure to have you. Steve, I wanted to ask you when you were sleeping on dirt floors and you had bare minimum accommodations, did you have access to books? Uh, what, what were you thinking? How did you break away from that circumstance? Yeah, great point. Um, I just got, I looked around the neighborhood that I grew up in and um, as I looked around that neighborhood, there are some families that were uh, well off and uh, lived in very good homes. And uh, here I was, there I was in, in uh, a situation with seven siblings in two rooms and shared bathrooms and shared everything else and hand-me-down clothes. And I figured something went wrong. Something, somebody did do something. And whoever that person is doesn't really matter. I just figured that. Whatever happens, I cannot grow up in that environment and end up in that same environment. I've got to figure a way out. It is with that determination that I applied myself to college, to high school and, uh, you know, really wanted to become a medical doctor as a way of getting out of that poverty mindset and that impoverished environment. Well, I, I want to make sure Sharon, since uh, you're her guest, gets ample opportunity to ask some of the questions that she had uh, wanted to ask you. But I did want to ask a question, like, how did you know that I was doing the 50 book challenge, books that would inspire and change your life and that you came up with 50 promises before it. How'd you know to do that? Well, I had no idea at all. Um, I was just inspired. I was out in my neighborhood one day, just uh, you know, having some quiet time. And as I go back into my house, I, I had a phrase in my head that said 50 promises. And I couldn't figure out what that meant or what that was other than the fact that I turned 50 that year. And so uh, before the day was over, I figured uh, 50 was uh, designed around, uh, you know, key promises that, uh, you know, supported the way I'd led my life up to that point. And, you know, what a way to kind of give uh, hope and inspiration to those who perhaps, you know, share the same, you know, background and letting them know that there is a way out. So that's how that came about. I had no idea at all that uh, a year later that you'll be talking about, uh, you know, 50 books. What number book? What number book is this for you? Uh, this is number one. I have uh, two more in the works right now. Okay, and I must say you have a very, very nice haircut. <laughs> yeah, we all agree if we were on television, right? Folks will have to go to our website to see uh, Steve's haircut. <laughs> 
But Steve, I wanted to ask you, of course, your book was written in 2016. And uh, I wonder if you can take us back to your childhood in Nigeria and talk about right. what personal promises did you live your life by, even well before you wrote the book. Uh, what, what promise did you make to yourself as you were sitting there thinking, this is not the sum total of my life. I can't live my life this way. There's, there's got to be a change. And at what point did that uh, trigger happen in your mind? Yeah, that great question, by the way. That, that trigger happened right around uh, age 15. And um, the promise I made to myself at the time was that just because you were born and raised in this environment uh, is not is not a confirmation that you will end up in that same environment. Um, so you will do whatever it takes uh, to break through and uh, you know provide uh, a better lifestyle for those who are coming behind you. Uh, I was around 15, and so right around 17, after I graduated uh, high school, uh, I got a job at a factory, a Pepsi uh, factory, and uh, all the money I made from that pretty much saved up, and with the help of my older brother, I went ahead and sent myself to school, uh, to college in London, United Kingdom. But uh, age 15 was right around that age where I I came to the realization that uh, I just could not allow myself to end up in that same environment just because that was my entry point to this planet uh, should not determine that that should be my end point. So uh, that was where the inspiration came and the energy and the drive uh, to make something of myself and provide a better outlook for those coming behind me. That's pretty powerful. When you moved to America, did you find that um, I guess the people of America don't know how good they have it and also uh, how easy it was for you to take advantage of the opportunity here? Oh, yeah. Uh, you, you know, it, it, it's kind of amazing because when you are born and raised in a place, sometimes you take some of the things that some of the opportunities that are presented to you for granted. And that, that was my experience when I got here. I obviously didn't get here uh, until, you know, pretty late. Now, when I say late, you know, going back 16 years ago, I was already a junior executive when I got here. Uh, but that really uh, allowed me the opportunity to see some of the opportunities that uh, uh, folks were taking for granted and to zoom in on those opportunities and leverage some of the infrastructure that the country provides uh, in order to start creating wealth very quickly. So your book, 50 Promises, is an inter- it really is an inspirational book for business leaders, and it challenges us to kind of look at your life and the evidence of your life and your success in which you actually integrate your faith and work. And what has been the reaction in the workplace when you talk about 50 Promises? Is this a novel idea, and, and is it congruent to mesh faith and work? Yeah, great. Another good question. Um, the, the, the congruence between faith and, and marketplace has always been there. And sometimes we've just chosen to ignore it. Uh, you know, you know, over I think the, the number is about 30 to 40 percent of Americans are so on, quote unquote, evangelicals. Right. Uh, but when we go to work, uh, we choose to leave, uh, you know, that at the door. And that's cool. Uh, however, our lifestyle and the way we interact with other people should speak to our faith and, and wherever uh, intersection of faith we find ourselves. 50 Promises uh, has given folks uh, in the workplace uh, and in the marketplace an opportunity uh, and the freedom to integrate work and faith. 
uh, my evidence is that whenever I found myself in very tough situations and I needed to, you know, resolve issues, I've always turned to my faith for inspiration and, and guidance and answers, and that has worked for me very well. And so we are now at a point where folks are coming to the realization that it, it's okay to intermingle my faith with what I do. Uh, because at the end of the day, my my work is not who I am. It's just an ex- extension of uh, my skill sets, right? And if I bring my spirituality to that, uh, I can have a positive outcome. So it, it really gives people the freedom to, to intermingle both uh, without necessarily having to... Uh, you know, uh, you know, be a, a faith basher or, you know, be, be intrusive about it. You can go about it in a very professional way and, and, and the quality of, of work that you do and the way you interact with others. That in itself, it should, should be the evangelical tool that we use uh, in the workplace, not so much about, you know, what I say, it's much about what I do. Indeed. I have, the evidence I have must to, show up. I have to say that cover that you picked is just gorgeous. It's very inspirational, warm. Uh, you, you see celebration. You see uh, bond and integrity. So what's an example of a couple of the promises that you share in the book? And what was the significance of the O being in red? Yeah, you know, the, uh, the, the design actually points to hope and inspiration, right? And so it points to a brighter day, regardless of what situation that you're going uh, you're going through today the sun will rise tomorrow so that is the sun that you see on the horizon uh on the back of the book and folks uh that are you know happy and excited and joyful to say hey regardless of what the the, the situation is like today you know what uh hang around don't lose hope you know, keep going, keep doing everything within your power, and the situation will turn around. It is very often when we give up. It is often when we, you know, we turn to a negative attitude. It is often when we don't believe that the situation will change, that our behavior uh, tends to change. So the, the, the design of the book is all wrapped up in faith and hope and inspiration, you know, a, an indication that tomorrow will be brighter than today if we take the right action and um, we focus on what is within our control as opposed to what is not within your control because you have no outcome on the economy, right? You, you, there's not, nothing you can do to influence the economy, but what you can do is to read the signs of what's going on and, you know, uh, intelligently invest your money the best you know how and let the chips fall wherever they may. Excellent. I tell you, Ken is big on book covers, right? Because as you say, my dear friend Ken, that, you know, you sell your book by the cover, correct? And this, this book is really selling itself with that beautiful cover. I, I just wanted to, to, to ask you uh, of the promises, because of course there are 50 of them, and I'll just read a few of them here. Move from your comfort zone, see it and receive it, expect to win, exceedingly productive, generational blessings, Proceeding with uh, confidence, great health and long life, consistently progressing. And and I wonder uh, which was the most challenging promise uh, for you to believe and walk in. Well, the most challenging one for me is, uh, you know, expect to win, uh, you know, which is, uh, you know, promise uh, uh, number four. 
because, you know, we have so much negativity today. We have so many, uh, you know, thoughts and, and those who are willing to pull us down and tell us and, and tell us the, the, the story of doom and gloom and how the situation is bad, how global warming is destroying the earth and, you know, how, you know, this generation is falling to, you know, hell and a handbasket. And you know what? We can still expect to win in the middle of all of that. And, and waking up every day and trying to tune off all of those negative promises and coming to the point where you you still believe that you can win, it is it is it is that sometimes that could be very challenging to a lot of people. It's not that people are not smart. It's not that people don't know what to do. Sometimes it's not that people, you know, don't want to be successful. It is when we send those negative vibes. It is when we tell people they are not up to the task. It is when we send the wrong negative signals that really drains the, the energy out of folks and cause them to think that they cannot win. But against all of that, uh, all of that aside, we can still win because at the end of the day, you know, there are certain things that are within our control. Uh, and if we do those things well, you know, tuning out all the negative voices and all the negative influences, we'll come to the realization that it is possible. Well, I know how important it was for you to get the book done and, and have this as a not only a bucket list but a legacy piece. And Sharon and I are big proponents of obviously uh, doing the same thing. We have Joyce, who's got a book coming out, Shift, later this year. We have Gita, who is on our team, who's coming out with a gratitude book. Tell, tell our audience how much your life shifted after this book launched. Yeah, great. My, my life shifted quite significantly because – when you dare to write on a piece of paper and you build that up into a book, you suddenly cannot walk away from some of the things that you've written. Um, because two weeks later, one month later, six months later, people start to text you and write to you and tell you about the story on page 65. And sometimes it's not that you've forgotten about page 65 and the story. It just happens that you have to hold yourself more accountable now than ever before uh, and responsible for some other things that you've talked about. You certainly cannot just walk away from that. So there is a higher level of accountability and responsibility uh, that follows, you know, writing and publishing a book, uh, you know, to the world. So, and that creates a shift, you know, personally uh, in your thinking and, and in your thinking pattern and your behaviors. And it brings you to a higher level of self-awareness uh, whether you like it or not. Because if you don't hold yourself accountable, your close friends and family would certainly hold you accountable and remind you of the very words that you've written in those books uh, that you cannot deny or walk away from now. So uh, I would say let the writers beware. <laughs> certainly walking the talk, right? That's so very, very important. <laughs> well, I know, Steve, that, of course, as you've told us uh, earlier, that you're working on a couple of other books. I'm curious to know more about uh, your new adventure, though. The endeavor is called Love IQ. Tell us a little bit about that, and that will that be encompassed in a book? Oh, absolutely. The, the essence of the book is going to be wrapped around Love IQ. Uh, just so that you know, over 50% of marriages in the United States end up in divorce. As a matter of fact, about 2 million people in the United States this year will get married, right? And uh, between three to five years, we can expect about a million of those people to have gone through divorce. The sad news is that second marriages, uh, you know, the failure rate on that is not uh, any, uh, any better. Um, it's, it's actually worse. 
And so what Love IQ attempts to do is to create a level of cognitive um, awareness uh, for folks to understand why, why is that? What is going on in relationships that is creating this breakdown and leading to separation and divorce? Well, some of the research that we have uh, completed uh, would suggest that uh, what women want in a relationship is fairly similar to what men want as well, uh, contrary to popular belief. And so Love IQ, you know, sets out to create an assessment that, uh, you know, folks can take. And at the end of the assessment, you get a Love IQ, and then you get to distinct areas of uh, opportunity and areas of strength. And what we are uh, attempting to do is create a movement around Love IQ for folks to celebrate what is working in your relationship first. Use that to build strength and energy to fix the things that need improvement uh, on a go-forward basis. So uh, there are 12 natures of love that we've come up with, uh, and it, it's a fight between nature and nurture. I believe that uh, we all have the nature of love. Uh, we are created with the nature of love. But over the years, as we get involved with the rat race and, and the, the challenges of life, uh, the nature of love that uh, we were created with gets chiseled away at. And so, you know, invariably we have lost some of those natures of love. Now we have to nurture those back into our relationship and be intentional about them. So that's what Love IQ is all about. You know, with I, the failure rate that you speak of for... Uh, personal relationships, I'm sure that the higher a love IQ you have, the more your business flourishes and the more your business success also is going to be affected in a positive way, not just because you apply the love IQ to your business and the relationship you have there, but also because things are good at home. You're not taking things away from the home and not bringing good things to the work. You are absolutely right about that. Absolutely right on. And, and I might add also, Stephen, Ken, that, uh, that, that love IQ speaks specifically, too, to how you feel about yourself because it starts right there in the internal vacuums of your own mind and what you think about you, your value proposition to your own self, and because you can't really give what you don't have. So that love IQ to me, you know, uh, Steve, you're talking my language because I do the whole lead from love platform, right? And uh, to right. encourage people to love from within and love from themselves first, and they can only show up with love if they have it from within themselves. So that is such a beautiful thing, and thank you so much for bringing that to the forefront. We need to talk about that a lot more, this whole thing called love. <laughs> well, Steve, yeah. I want to ask you about the 50 promises just because I, I had one question for our audience, which is how does one actually shift and play the game of promises and have it really stick and affect their life in a positive way? Yeah, that is a great question. Uh, thanks for whoever asked that question. The, the, in the book, we talked about, uh, you know, self-affirmation. And um, the introduction uh, part of the book talks about, you know, writing those affirmations down and, uh, you know, specifically to yourself, specifically to your situation, you know, uh, and the future that uh, you, you envision as well. And one of the powerful things that we can do on a daily basis is to keep those affirmations very close and read it back to ourselves because it really can shape, you know, your mindset uh, as you set out every single day. Uh, there is nothing more powerful than having a positive mindset as you set out to accomplish whatever it is you want to accomplish on a daily basis. So it's great to have all the 50 promises. 
but constantly, you know, keeping them at the forefront of, you know, everything that we do and reinforcing those self um, affirmations uh, enables us to create the shift that is so much required um, in our mind. Because sometimes, you know, the issue is not, it's not, you know, that we don't know. The issue is that we need to be reminded on a regular basis. And, you know, you cannot, you know, give what you don't have. And constantly by reinforcing those self-affirmations, it really triggers an opportunity for you to see, you know, um, potentials and to leverage, you know, some of those potentials in yourself and in situations that you're dealing with, you know. So uh, self-affirmation is absolutely very important, and the book talks about that. Steve, so I, I want to say to really quickly uh, that uh, that uh, Steve has a journal extension of the 50 promises that people want to walk through, reflect and offer gratitude that really will help them to immerse in the book. Correct, Steve? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They're both available on Amazon and you can order them together. Thanks for that and, reminder, Sharon. And so mm-hmm. people can buy them on Amazon. How can people follow you, Steve? Oh, they can. Uh, I'm I'm really you know plugged in on uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, it's my primary uh, you know social media platform. They can certainly connect with me there. And Love IQ, we have a beta uh, test right now, public beta, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna launch uh, at the end of the month. So uh, folks can also connect with me through you know Twitter, Love IQ Smart, and um, also on Facebook as well. You know, Love IQ. Uh, smart. So uh, I look forward to connecting with everybody. Well, we're going to build you up on Facebook. And I have to tell you, Sharon and I are a little sad right now. And the reason why is because the first segment is already over and we wrote 50 questions for your 50 promises. And I don't even think we got, I think we had eight done, Sharon. Is that about right? About eight? I know. I feel like we're, I think we're cheating ourselves here because he's so wroth with amazing information. Well, Sharon, the the important thing is we're dancing, and Steve is phenomenal, and he has been amplified, and we're going to be back in a couple minutes to meet Mema. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Where are you financially? Did you know that nearly three quarters of U.S. consumers have less than $1,000 in their retirement plans? No matter what stage of life you're in, listening to The Steady Investor can help. Hosts Mitch Zacks and Mark Vickery, along with their guest experts, discuss what you need to know to warm up that nest egg. It doesn't matter when you start, you just need to start. Tune in to The Steady Investor, Thursdays at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. Each week, Larry Sternberg joins Dr. Kim Turnage to explore management issues from culture to discipline in Managing to Make a Difference. 
Join Talent Plus for 60 minutes of dynamic conversation, including real-life management examples helping you manage teams across the globe. This series airs on Voice America, the business channel, Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Managing to make a difference every Thursday afternoon with Larry Sternberg and Dr. Kim Turnage. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at UmbrellaSyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. Welcome back to the second half of the show. We are so excited. We have two powerful guests, both from Africa. And who would have known 50 Book Challenge comes out, 50 Promises was able to tell the future over a year ago and make that amazing book. And we got such great wisdom from Steve. I want to turn the microphone over to Gita, and she's going to give a nice introduction to our wonderful Mema Karma. Thank you so much, Ken. Truly appreciate you. I'm Gita Krishnan here. I just want to tie up what we started off a little bit earlier. Steve was talking about the 50 promises and something that led to was appreciating yourself better. Uh, Sharon shared about that, and that's what <clears throat> I'm about. I talk about appreciation, and today I want to appreciate Mema, our dear guest, guest of honor again, truly from my heart for all that she's been through and all that she's doing right now. Maima Carmo is the founder and CEO of Tiger Lily Foundation and the 10-year survivor of breast cancer. On February 28, 2006, at 4.45 p.m., Maima was diagnosed with stage 2 breast cancer. She had no family history of breast cancer and was 32 years old. While undergoing chemotherapy, she made a promise to God that if she survived, she would create an organization to educate, empower, advocate for, and support young women affected by breast cancer. After her second treatment, Tiger Lily Foundation was born. Beginning in chemotherapy, Mema grew Tiger Lily Foundation from a concept to a national organization with hundreds of volunteers nationwide providing breast health, wellness, and transformational programs to young women in more than 43 states. She leads women to manifest bliss. She is also a mission-driven leader and entrepreneur with 16 years' experience helping organizations achieve their goals also supporting government contractors, support agencies to achieve their missions. A huge, warm, big hug and a huge, warm welcome to you, Neema. Neema Carmo, welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be on the show today. Thank you so much. You know, Neema, timing is everything, isn't it? Because you just recently had an event that we were able to help uh, with the photography and marketing. And I have to say, uh, what a great name, I Manifest Bliss. And all the things you've created in the past five years, I, I met you roughly five years ago at an event, and to watch your career soar and all the accolades of being on Oprah and Good Morning America and the Today Show, congratulations on everything you've accomplished. Thank you so much, Ken, and all you've done as well. You know, we're only as good as who we surround ourselves with. And, and for me, my number one 
um, in my life is God, and and then in my family and friends and people like yourself who are all working to change the world. And um, I'm just even I sometimes watch my life and I'm like, oh my goodness, like it's, this is really my life is really happening. But I don't know if I told you this before. I had a conversation with God when I was eight years old, and He told me that my life would have challenges and there would be things that would happen that I wouldn't understand. But to always know that he was with me all the time. He'd be with me. And to always talk to him and listen. And to be honest, all I've ever done is just listen to God and do what he says. And my life's just been, even to me, a wonderful surprise. Well, I wanted to just have the audience who may not have been at that particular TEDx that I saw you speak a couple years back, if you could give a very modified uh, message, uh, abbreviation of that story and that message, just to give them a little context of how far you have come and uh, what you stand for, and then uh, Sharon and I will be doing the dance from that point forward. Okay, so I'll start with my with being born in Liberia, West Africa. Um, my parents were, my mom is a nurse and my dad is a commodities trader. Um, and they're very, very involved in philanthropy, giving back into, into, to other people in the community and so forth. And they were hustlers. They just they worked hard, they played hard, and they were into family and church. And so that's kind of how I was, you know, what I was raised in. Um, when I was eight years old, there was a coup d'etat in Liberia. And I remember um, waking up in the morning, and at some point my dad was getting dressed, and he looked nervous. Unbeknownst to me at the time, um, the, the war had started. There was a war that had broken out. And they were asking people to go to a meeting, a quote-unquote meeting. My dad knew that it was a trap, but he knew that if he didn't go to the meeting, um, they would come looking for us and they might kill our family. So he was, in essence, going to sacrifice himself to spare them coming to the soldiers, coming to, coming to find our family and maybe killing or raping us. So my dad went to this, um, you know, meeting and he ended up getting jailed, imprisoned. And um, my mother took us into hiding with, with um, some friends. And imagine, you know, you're eight years old, your father's gone, your mother's scared, you're in a car, you're told keep your head down, and you're in somebody's house, and, and the lights are down, and you can't be making any noise. It was just that kind of situation. And um, my mother said at some point to her friend, I have to go and find my husband, because if I don't go get him, he might be assassinated, he might get killed. And my mother put on a pair of shorts and put on a scarf on her head, and she begged the cab driver to take her to the prison. People were running away from the situation. She was going into the heart of, the, of where the war was happening, into the, the prisons where the soldiers were. And so what my parents taught me during that first war was that my father exercised extreme bravery. I mean, he sacrificed his life for us. And my mother sacrificed, was going to sacrifice her life for love, for her husband. And so those are like two things that really shaped me at a young age in, in terms of who I've become. Love is, is first to me. Love is my word. And, and um, you know, and, and being brave and being fearless. And so my mother got my dad out of the prison because my father had a habit of giving people who didn't have rice, free rice. He ran, to, he ran an importing, exporting company. And he gave people who were strangers free rice all the time. And my mom went to get him out of the jail she mentioned his name to the prison to the to the people in the prison, and someone knew his name, who he'd been giving free rice to for a long time, and that's how he got out of the prison. So, you know, kindness was also at my core. The core is at my core. Um, my parents, we came to the U.S. My mom, my dad, and brothers, and then what did they do? We stayed for for some time, and they went back to Liberia because they wanted to give back and help rebuild the country. 
So we stayed in, back home for a while. Um, another war. Well, let me just pause for a minute. Then I was struck by lightning when I was 12 years <laughs> old. Um, I, was, I was on the phone. I was on the phone, right? Exactly. Only me. I was on the phone, and, and there was a lightning storm, and my mom told me to get off the phone, but, um, I, and I did, actually. I did, and I put the phone down, went back, because it rang, so I picked it up, and I was hit by lightning. I was unconscious for, for some time, and I had a near-death experience, um, but it wasn't my time to die. And later that year, a second war broke out in Liberia. We escaped again. My parents went back because they wanted to get back, and we stayed for a little bit longer. And then when I was 15 years old, the last war broke out, and that war happened so fast that my dad um, came to get me from school. The next day, I graduated from high school, and the day after that, he told me to pack my suitcase, and he put me on a plane alone at 15 years old. And um, I, I was, it was one of the most traumatic experiences that I've ever experienced. Um, up until this past year, I hadn't really remembered parts of my journey here, because I, I just... You know, imagine you're at school and you're on a plane without your family at 15. Um, wow. But I, but I had God, and um, and you know, I made a life here. Um, well, and so, yes, yeah, so I just want you know, time. I, oh, I'll let you go ahead. You're the host. I'm not. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> you're the, the you're, right now. <laughs> you're the important guest, and I just want to say that. Uh, you know, a half hour goes by so quick, and Sharon has so many questions as well as myself. But I want to yield to Sharon. But before I do, I just want to say you are such a powerful person. And, and meeting Sharon and, and having her on the show and seeing how powerful she was, I couldn't wait to connect you guys and, and for you to have that conversation. And I talked to Steve today and say, what a treat. All of us are coming together because of Voice America, because of a platform that allows us to have a conversation that will go well beyond today. And I wanted to right. turn it over to Sharon and Sharon, just have fun because I know you'd like to share a lot of the conversation you had and it would really be robbing the audience of a phenomenal amount of energy and information you got. So I want you to just take it away until we go to rapid fire. So go for it, Sharon. Thank you, uh, Ken. Mema, what a, an intriguing life. It's incredibly inspirational. And I, I remember a quote I heard a couple of years back, and it said, God trusts me with trouble. Sometimes people ask, mm. why? Why is this happening to me? I mean, you survived three wars. You survived a near-death experience being struck by lightning. You've had a gun pointed in, you know, at you. And, and here you are. You are blissful in your life. So when you hear that phrase, trust with trouble, what, what comes to mind for you? How do you uh, reconcile that with what you've experienced? Well, you know, and you forgot, I had breast cancer as well. So, like, if, mm-hmm. if the wars and lightning and gunpoint weren't enough, I just I feel like, you know, God, some people are, I don't know if the right word is chosen, but, you know, when you have had your life spared so many times, God, to me, was preparing me for something wonderful. Um, he was preparing the vessel that my body is to to fulfill his, his message in the world. And so, you know, everything I survived... Um, was kind of, I think, a test. It was him saying, you know, can you withstand the challenge? Can you withstand fear? Can you withstand being alone? Can you withstand rejection? Can you withstand near being, near, you know, near death? And then going through cancer was, to me, the ultimate, um, because I don't know if, you know, how spiritual you all are, but in the Bible, there, you know, there's many instances where people are, like, having illnesses, and they thought that God had left them. But God was really testing and seeing if they had the the strength to really walk their talk 
So it's, Absolutely. We're, we're good at, we're, you know, you can talk about how we believe in God and how you believe in this and that and you're happy, but how blissful, how happy, how much can you serve when you think you're going to die? What do you yeah. do then? Do you give up? When, so mm-hmm. for me, that's what it was about. It was like God was kind of asking me to walk my talk and, 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 what it, and so that's what I did. You know, I was laying in bed going through treatment and for a moment, well, let of me, course, I let, was... Let me interject here because this, this, we really can't just race over this one. This is a huge story about you surviving cancer and the steps that you right. went through. First and foremost, uh, you had to fight with your doctors to even analyze or, or find some sort of uh, uh, biopsy because they, you had an aggressive uh, form of cancer, but it wasn't mm-hmm. up initially, and your doctor was telling you, no, go home, you're fine, and something inside of you kept saying, no, something doesn't feel right. Walk us through that just a bit for me. Yeah, so my mother's a nurse, which I think I may have mentioned earlier, and she gave me a powerful, a wonderful gift. She taught me at 13 years old to do my breast self-examination. And I remember asking her why I needed to know about breast exams. I, didn't, I barely had breasts. I was 13. And she said to me that a woman's body, a girl's body is going to change and mature over time. And as it changed, there might be lumps that might come, show up or discharge or things that weren't normal. And I said, well, how will I know if it's a good lump or a bad lump? And she said, you'll know. And so um, fast forward 18 years later, I'm taking a shower, find a lump, go to get, see my doctor, my OBGYN. I got a mammogram and then went to a breast surgeon and the mammogram came back clean. So the doctor was telling me that, you know, I had no evidence of cancer. And for anybody who's listening, when you hear that you're cancer-free, you think, okay, great, I can breathe and relax. But because I've been doing my breast exams for 18 years every month, I knew my body so well that I knew to push for testing. And the doctor kept saying, you're too young to have breast cancer. Come back in a couple months. You're too young to have breast cancer. That could be my own advocate. And if I hadn't pushed for the biopsy, which I finally got, so that finally I pushed, for the, I pushed and pushed and I got the biopsy done. And my doctor called the next day to tell me that I had um, stage 2 breast cancer and the wow. lump had doubled in, size, doubled in size in less than six months. So if I hadn't pushed for the biopsy, I would be dead today. Wow. And, and I, I think yeah. that sometimes uh, life offers us the opportunity to set us up because there's a greater good out of this. And out of all of this came your nonprofit, uh, the Tiger Lily Foundation. And um, why the Tiger Lily? I know you, there isn't a reason why you're connected with this particular flower. So explain to us why the Tiger Lily. Well, well two reasons why. Women are like tigers. We're strong. We're warriors. We're we're powerful, but then we're also beautifully gentle and soft and, and feminine. And so the tiger lily represents a woman in all her attributes, her fearlessness and her strength and beauty, and then her soft side. And when you're going through breast cancer treatment, you tend to lose things that define you as a woman or that you think define you as a woman. For example, maybe your hair, you lose your hair in treatment. You may lose a breast or two, and you may lose your ovaries um, or ability to have children, to procreate. And as a woman, those things are very, very um, meaningful to, to most women. And so the flower, the flower, tiger lily, is a perennial. In the fall and winter time, the flower loses its petals. But in the summer and spring, spring and summer, the flower petals bloom again. So the, the mm. word symbolizes a woman's ability to, to become more beautiful, um, stronger, and to be transformed during and after breast cancer. Beautiful. 
that, that is so very refreshing. So the challenge now in the campaign is to allow women to see that even if you're 25 or if you're under 40, a lot of times the doctors will tell you you're fine until you're 40, uh, there is an aggressive um, invasion of women under 40 that they really need to take precautions and take good care of themselves um, and, and not wait until they're 40 to start seriously uh, considering the possibility. And if something is awry in their body, I love the fact that you understood your body enough to know to know that something was just not right. I want to run over to another concept uh, because you started a blog and you started talking about this issue and it became like a mushroom effect where everybody wanted to talk to you about it. And then you ended up on the Oprah Winfrey show and tell us what Oprah told you. You got some good advice from the O woman herself about your book. Well, she told me, she told me two things. She told me, because I asked her why, I said, why am I here? And I'd begun my foundation less than two years before. And she said, you belong here. This is where you belong. You you need to be in this, you know, to shine. And she said, and then she asked me if I had a book. And I said, no. And she said, you need to write a book. (laughs) And so, you know, Oprah was very, very, she's somebody, you know, you meet her and you feel like she's your aunt or your, your, you know, a close friend. She's such a loving, warm person. And for me, it validated that I was on the right track. Because remember, I began this in treatment. I didn't have any type of expertise, any kind of advocacy, training, any training on building boards, fundraising. I worked in government contracting at a nine-to-nine job. And so everybody was telling me that I was sick. What was I doing? I didn't have the money. I didn't have the expertise. I didn't have the network. I didn't know about networking or any of this. It was all, it was not existent to me. And so... When I talk about God and the power of God and how much I believe in Him, like literally God walked me through step by step how to get to where, how to get to certain places and then Oprah called. And once that happened, people began to really look at Tiger Lily as um, a place that gave women who were younger a voice and a place to connect them and to remind them that they're beautiful and strong and can be warriors and they don't have to see cancer as a situation where they're victims or where they're helpless, but they can be even more powerful because they know they have time to live, you know, and time to, to grow and blossom. And that's kind well, of how that inspired me to do more and be more. Mame, I have a question for you before we start our rapid fire. Um, is there anything, is there a correlation between people that uh, get cancer, breast cancer, and their their lifestyle, i.e. what they eat, the stress they're under. Do you, do you have anything that you've changed in your life that has made you cancer-free? Well, I would say cancer is so random. That's why we don't have a cure. We don't know what causes it, what makes it happen, or what makes it, you know, stop. But um, there are risk factors, for example, hereditary risk factors. If, you're, you're, if your mom has had breast cancer or, or father's mother or even a father, men have breast cancer too. Um, but there are ways to lower the risk of, of getting it, and there are ways to keep your body clean. For example, my body is so clean. I run, I juice, I'm very alkaline in my diet. I eat tons of greens. Um, stress can be a factor as well. And so I'm really um, very zen. <laughs> I focus on bliss. Um, I'm just really all about living holistically because I want to live for a long, long time and, and serve God in, 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 my, in my life. And so I wouldn't say there's a way to prevent cancer, but there's a way to lower your risk of, of getting it and to live a holistically healthy life. 
Okay. Well, we are going to go to rapid fire right now. And since Steve was the first guest in the segment, and you may have had a question for him yourself, I will actually uh, start the, the first question for Steve. And if, if Sharon will go next, and then Mema is our guest, you can ask a question, then Gita and Joyce, if you'd like to. So, Steve, are you there? I sure am. Okay. So, I would like to ask you what two books, since I love books so much, what two books were, would be your books you'd have to put in a 50-book challenge that would enlighten people, inspire, and change their life forever? Absolutely. The first one is Knowing God, Knowing Yourself by Cecil Murphy. Wonderful. That's, yeah, that's a powerful one. And then the second one I would recommend is 50 Promises by Steve Ackenborough. I've heard of that book, and the reason I and the reason I asked for two is I thought you oh might do God. that. <laughs> and I can vouch for that, Steve, because I've read the book cover to cover, and it is a verse, it really is a book that you want to have in your library. Here's my question for you regarding the love IQ. I know you've been married to a beautiful, beautiful wife. Uh, so, what can you do in addition to what you're doing now to increase your love IQ? Well, one of the things you can do to increase your love IQ is... No, 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 you, you personally. Well, me personally, one of the things I'm, I'm doing to improve my love IQ right now is to respect my wife more because what respect means for man is different to what respect means for women. And that is one of the things that our research revealed. And once I got hold of that insight... I came to the realization to observe my wife and look at some of those things that I could do better in order to please her uh, on a day-to-day basis. And for her, you know, uh, seeking her opinion on times, uh, sometimes when we have to make a decision or just being more patient with her, those little things go a long way when it comes to helping me improving my love IQ. Okay, Mema, your turn, Mema. I'm asking you, the question. You're going to ask a question to Steve. I don't know no, what to ask. Um, oh, what, are, what, are, what, are the, what are the top three tenets that you live by? Tenets meaning values that you live by. Oh, so one of the things that, uh, number one, is care. Just, just caring for people generally. Number two is integrity. Number two is gratitude. In whatever position I find myself, there is somebody that has it worse and just to be grateful as I move forward. The other uh, tenant that I live by is collaboration. You know, working, understanding that I don't have all the answers, but by collaborating with other people, we can solve the world's problem. Uh, the other one that I live by is um, uh, being strategic in my thought process not getting bogged down in the weeds so, so much that I lose sight of the bigger picture of what life is all about. Uh, another yeah. one is leadership. You know, understand right. that leadership is, is not a position, but leadership is about, uh, you know, taking, having a thought process and utilizing that, not just to better yourself, but to better other people. This is just hey, a we- few. Hey Steve, we yeah. did not ask for the we did not ask for the fifty tenants. I know that's what you heard. Yes, three tenants. Hey. Uh, yeah, we, need, we need we need a bell with Steve for sure. <laughs> right. He's a famous so, self-promoter. I love it. So we <laughs> actually are da- we're down there like almost no time. So Gita, quick question, quick okay. answer, Steve. Absolutely yes. So now that you mentioned fifty, I, I would like to ask you your favorite promise in your fifty promises, Steve. Oh, the very the the, the best. For me, it's number one. As long as the earth endures, see time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter will never cease. I truly believe that I have the choice and the power to dictate my outcome. And in every season of life, 
that I go through, I truly believe there is, there is abundance that awaits me. I just have to have the mindset and have the, the sights, uh, the spiritual, uh, you know, sight to see the possibilities and take advantage of them. Joyce? Perfect. Yeah, okay, hi, so, Nema. Go ahead, Joyce. What's your favorite yes. bliss place? What is my, oh, what? Sorry. Your favorite, yeah, bliss your favorite place. place to find your bliss, land, sea, air, fire, where? By the water. I love the beach. Yes. I love the water. When I'm on the beach and my feet are in the sand and my face is turned up to the sun and I can hear the water, I am in heaven. However, I find bliss within my heart and soul. So it, it's something that's a part of, of who I am. And But I like, in terms of being in a place, it's the beach. I love the beach. All right. My final awesome. question is, what? how can people reach you, Mema, and follow you? They can and find buy your me. book. I'm all, over, I'm, I'm all over the place. So I'm at Mema on Twitter. It's just my name. M-A-I-M-A-H. It's just one of me. <laughs> um, on Instagram, it's Mema Carmo. And on Facebook, it's Mema, S as in Sam, K-A-R-M-O. All right. Mema and Steve, you have been amplified. You have been phenomenal guests in this hour like I said, went by too quickly. So we will obviously want to stay in touch, bring you back. And, you know, we we ran out of time, Sharon. We don't even have time to tell about the guest next week. Just like last week, we're going to have to I keep know. it a secret. It's we're going to have to keep it a secret again. We love surprises. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sharon, thank you for being my co-host. Thank you for accepting. We can't wait to get your beautiful smile on the banner. So that should be happening in the, within the next week or two. And then the world will see that we are amplifying the world. So we'll see you next week and the secret will be shared in a couple days. All right. Thank you so much. Keep our, our promises. We will keep our promises. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplify. Be sure to join Ken Rashawn again next Tuesday afternoon at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, go get your message heard. 